It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live Health Watch. She's writing a prescription for hope. Here's Michelle. Today on this Health Watch Wednesday edition of My Michelle Live, we're going to be talking about the vaccine. We're going to talk with folks who love it, are so excited about it, but still may have some concerns and others who are saying, hey, vaccines in general, great idea, but be wary, be careful. It seems that we are being propagandized in some regards that everyone, all the important people, all the smart people say it's fine, but we've danced to this tune before and there have been problems in the past with vaccines we don't want to hear about it though because we want to protect people we don't want to talk about the concerns because for the most part most people will be just fine but when you aren't you really aren't now putting it into perspective we cannot move forward i don't think we should move forward in our own personal lives based on i'm afraid jennifer margulis was on my show recently and she stated some shocking statistics about what we're really looking at the coronavirus and your chances it's really good news in the midst of all of this which is that every single one of your listeners can take a deep breath and stop being scared And the reason why I say that is that we now have better, not perfect, but better CDC data looking at the COVID-19 survival rates by age group. And it's actually astonishing how positive this data is. In the age category of 0 to 19, the survival rate is 99.997%. In every age category, except for people over 70 who are the most vulnerable, The survival rate for COVID-19 is over 99%. So hang out with us today. We're going to be talking with a gentleman from Men's Health Network. He is in favor of the vaccine, but does issue some warnings and some things to think about as we have a thoughtful discussion. We'll take this conversation to Andy Wakefield, who had put together a movie on the things you do do not often hear about vaccinations. It's just not politically correct. It doesn't make us feel comfortable to think that these very scientifically based modern ways of dealing with some of our issues may also have some problems. If we ignore them, we won't get better. If we ignore the problems, we won't have any hope of improving vaccinations in themselves, not a bad thing. Problems with vaccination, a bad thing. And we can do better if we shed a little light on it. We're also going to take it to a practical level today. And we will talk with a gentleman of one product company called Lono Life. Haven't tried it yet, but it's a bone broth that can be one of those natural things that we use in our daily regime to stave off colds, flus, and viruses. First, some concerns about vaccines. You may have heard of the movie Vaxxed. This is a bit from the trailer. In CDC's judgment, the best public policy is to continue vaccination unchanged. You who run our health agencies in this country, you have an obligation to make sure that these studies are complete, thorough, so that we have all the facts. Oh my God, I cannot believe we did what we did. Omission of crucial data, destruction of documents, 
misleading the Congress, grievous harm to innocent children. Everything I've been telling my patients for the last 10 years has been based on a lie and a cover-up. Parents should be able to count on federal agencies to tell them the truth. Well, I'll tell you right now what you can count on from My Michelle Live. We're going to try to always look for the truth, even if it means asking the hard questions and having alternate points of view other than what I think, believe. I think it's important. Don't be afraid of the truth. Don't be afraid to let the truth be challenged. So whether you are pro-vaccination, anti-vaccination, or just on the fence, we're going to take it on today. But let's look at some of the concerns from the past. I've invited the man behind that film, um, Vaccinations, Andy Wakefield, to join us. His story was really interesting because in 1995, he was contacted by parents, parents of autistic children, who also had stomach issues. Doing a little investigation, he learned that it kind of started these conditions occurred immediately following an MMR vaccine. And the rest, well, we'll be taking on with our guest and the man behind the movie Vaxxed, Dr. Andy Wakefield. Dr. Wakefield, so good to have you. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you very much. What a story. Uh, We do know that even from the CDC's own website, it states pretty clearly, doctor, that, quote, many studies have looked at whether the relationship between vaccines and autistic spectrum disorder, ASD, to date, the studies continue to show that vaccines are not associated with ASD, unquote. What more can be said? So much. So So much. much So much much so that we'll make a movie out of it, yes. The truth could be told. I mean, and the the weight of evidence in favor of vaccines causing causing autism now far outstrips that that doesn't. But what you're hearing there is not a scientific message or a medical message, but a public relations message. And of course, we now know that one of their most important studies seeking to exonerate the MMR vaccine from autism was in fact a deliberate and calculated fraud. Why? What would be behind that? What would be the motivation? What is the cover-up? Well, I suppose this is really a question for them, and it's one that perplexes me. Why if you're in charge of the health of the children of the nation, why would you put them in harm's way deliberately and knowingly? And what we were, what we were told um, unambiguously by Dr. William Thompson, senior scientist from the CDC, is that they had examined the relationship between age of exposure and autism risks, exposure to MMR, autism risk, and they'd found a very strong association in, in two groups of children, African-American boys, and children of all races who were developmentally normal to age one. In other words, exactly the kind of children who you'd expect to be show an impact or, or, of an adverse event at uh, the age of 12 to 18 months. And when they found this, they decided rather than to tell the public and the doctors or delay the vaccine or repeat the study, they decided to cover it up. So for 14 years, millions of children have been put in harm's way knowingly So, Dr. Wakefield, that's what I'm concerned about, that there are a lot of folks are saying this is safe, this is safe uh, for the coronavirus vaccine, and that might be all well and good for the most part. But there may be some things that we're not taking into consideration. In this case, we 
might have seen people saying, hey, this is for the greater good, which is something we were talking about earlier in the show, for the greater good, so the benefits outweigh the risk. But not if you're one of the children or one of the families that have fallen victim to this. And the consequences, I'm afraid, I believe, have been dire for the children of this country. Seems as though anyone with a dissenting view is demonized, and yet you wanted to come forward and share. There have been whistleblowers. There have been people who have done independent studies. But really, the CDC itself doesn't have a pristine history. Some of what you share has to do with some of the history of the CDC, including the overlooking uh, or even the complete insensitivity of a syphilis study done with African-American males? Yes, so so much of what they have done in the past, the dark history of the CDC has had racial um, connotations to it. Yes, you're quite right. When the CDC came into being, they took on the Tuskegee syphilis experiments where they deliberately left African-American males infected with syphilis untreated, even when penicillin as a life-saving treatment was available. Their experiment was to see what the natural history of syphilis was in these people. And so mothers continued to get infected. Babies continued to be born infected with syphilis, which is a terrible, terrible condition, congenital syphilis. But for the CDC, it was just business as usual. And then they experimented on children in south-central Los Angeles, Hispanic and uh, African-American children, using a, a very powerful measles vaccine, which had been shown in developing countries to cause uh, an increased mortality, an increased death rate. And then they have, we have this ex- experience with deliberately leaving children exposed to uh, the MMR on the recommended schedule, knowing that it was a risk for autism. So it's, a, it's an appalling history. It does go on and on. And I was just reading in the um, USA Today how they had hidden from Congress the failures of their laboratory system uh, in 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 Atlanta, um, so it, it, it's it's very murky. This uh, they cannot be trusted, and this is not just my opinion. This is in the words of Dr. William Thompson, who has said in writing and recorded conversation on no fewer than five occasions that they are not fit. The CDC is not fit, nor can it be trusted to do vaccine safety research. Let's talk uh, about so things have to change. the importance of Dr. William Thompson's statements now, because a lot of folks don't understand that background. Certainly, Dr. William Thompson is one of the most respected. He's a senior scientist at the Centers for Disease Control, highly awarded, has published many, many scientific studies, and um, led the study on looking at age of MMR vaccine and autism. In fact, this was a hypothesis that my group, we had given to the CDC, shared with them in congressional hearings back in 2000, 2001, and they tested that hypothesis. The younger you get the MMR vaccine, the greater the risk of autism. And the reason for us putting that hypothesis forward is that the younger you get measles, for example, the greater your risk of a severe or a more severe measles disease. So was that true also for vaccines, Dr. Now, Thompson? I, I want to interject here that, oh, sorry, that you had this hypothesis with a Dr. Montgomery. Uh, and since then, there has been even a, a, 
I mean, mind-blowing statistics of 340% increase in ASD the earlier these kids were vaccined. And you mentioned race earlier, that male boys were two times more likely to to contract this. So it's, it's, this is very serious. So let's, uh, putting that into context of how serious uh, this potentially could be, what was Dr. Thompson's findings? Well, you're quite right. And just to give that more context, when I was at medical school, we were not even taught about autism. Now the risk for a child born today is estimated at 1 in 25. That is an extraordinary level. And, of course, if you follow those numbers out, which are CDC statistics, then one in two children will be affected in 2032. That is the seriousness. This is the worst epidemic the world has ever experienced. So that's even worse than the coronavirus. Okay, go ahead. Now, Dr. Thompson was in charge of designing the study. He was in charge of collecting the data for the study and analyzing the data. He was the statistician and the epidemiologist. Now, if this had been a money laundering ring, then Dr. Thompson would be the accountant, the last person you would ever want to be plea bargaining with the feds because he knows where the bodies are buried. And that's exactly what he provided to us for the Mm -hmm. purpose of making this documentary. He provided to his whistleblower lawyer, and he provided to Congressman Bill Posey. This is not a controversial movie in as much that the facts are unambiguous. They committed what amounts to the worst medical fraud in history, and we can say that with confidence because we have all the information. Information that Dr. Thompson's colleagues thought they had destroyed. They thought they had covered their tracks. But Thompson knew that this was Uh, In contravention of the law, this was destruction of federal documents, and he kept everything and was able to provide it for to us. As we move forward, there are some things that you may not know about this vaccine. ASAP Science did a pretty good job of explaining how this vaccine is actually a little bit different than vaccines that I've talked about in the past where you are putting in uh, a small portion, if you will, of the virus or whatever it is that you're trying to build immunity against, shake it up with some sometimes dangerous adjuvants, as we heard from Dr. Andy Wakefield, that can have negative effects. And uh, we don't always know how things are going to affect people. Think of the coronavirus itself, how it affects differing people different ways. Some of the long-lasting effects for some and some not for others. Blood type may play into it. But yes, this virus vaccine is just a little bit different. Like the vaccines we're used to seeing, these vaccines will be injected into the upper muscle of your arm. But unlike typical vaccines, which introduce inactive or weakened forms of a virus, these will release genetic material called messenger RNA. So what exactly does this mRNA do? Well, in a regular cell of your body, you have DNA inside of the nucleus. And this DNA stores all the information and instructions important to the functioning of your cells, your body, and ultimately makes you, you. Inside your cell is machinery that reads through your DNA and transcribes it into mRNA. 
This process is known as translation. In fact, it's this process that viruses take advantage of in the first place. They insert their own genetic information into you and then your cell machinery unwittingly starts taking that information and building proteins to help create more viruses. So back to the needle. The mRNA that is being injected into you from the vaccine also carries genetic instructions. But in this case, it's only coding for one small part of the virus. Oh, well, this doesn't belong here, which triggers an immune response to recognize and prepare your body for the real thing without ever having to come in contact with the actual virus itself. And naturally, that does leave some questions. Are you messing with my DNA? Is it safe? And there are studies that are going on and we'll be talking about that say, yes, they are. Others, people are saying no. And in some cases, we're kind of like the... Uh, SNL skit of the doctor, yes, we know this. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yes, yes, we kind of know it. And I'm just kind of saying what I need to say. Sometimes it feels that yes. way. And, and we're so glad you're here because people are really excited about the vaccine, but they also have a lot of questions about it. Mm -hmm, we know, dear. Right. This is the first vaccine from Pfizer. Yes, we noticed. And it's 95% effective. Mm, we love this. And the first doses are going to be delivered within days. Mm -hmm, we notice we see this, we let us, we know this. We know this. Right. And, and just to clarify for the viewers, are, are you saying, are you saying we know this, or are you just sort of repeating your own name, sort of like Pikachu? It's a little bit of both, baby. <laughs> well, we are doing it. We're talking about the vaccine. It is among us now. Big breakthrough came with uh, the publishing in November that a vaccine is up to 95% effective. On the 2nd of December, the UK actually became the first country in the world to approve the vaccine for widespread use. Here in our state, where I live in Washington state, our governor has said, hey, we're ready to go. And even the state of New York is considering making the vaccine mandatory. We're talking about through the state, maybe through your employer. This is the world we live in. But what we're doing on this program is talking about the whole story, not just the propaganda, not just the, oh, hallelujah, we've got a, we've got a pill for that. We've got a shot for that. But talking about some of the risks and how we move forward. Joining me in this quest is Dr. Salvatore Giorgio. I am going to just butcher your name. Why is that? Such a beautiful name, uh, Giorgiani. Uh, Dr. Giorgiani, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's just the, the time of the day. I don't know. I haven't had enough coffee. But uh, at any rate, he is a senior science advisor to the Men's Health Network. And he is the past chair and emeritus of the American Public Health Association. I'm delighted to have you with us to give us a little insight and to really talk about an issue that uh, so many issues, Dr. Giorgiani, are oftentimes just um, one-sided. And we put all this information out there, and it almost feels like propaganda. So I really wanted to have a meaningful conversation. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. It's important for folks to get a good perspective on what's happening. So let's talk about some of that perspective. Are there some things that we are not necessarily being told? Well, I don't think so. I think 
we're getting as much information publicly. And now I, you know, I get occasional briefing summaries from uh, public sources, and but I'm not in any of the uh, meetings, uh, either from the manufacturers or the White House or the FDA or CDC. So I rely, as just most everybody else does, on publicly available sources. However, having said that, the amount of information that's being disclosed to these public sources through this whole process is truly unprecedented. Uh, for example, Pfizer, who has the first candidate out there, and the other companies, AstraZeneca, Johnson Johnson, Moderna, uh, following suit, they all have websites where a lot of information is there, and it's crafted for the general public to be able to read it and look at it. Yeah. Uh, the other is that the the process, the data, is being reviewed by multiple agencies throughout the world. It's being reviewed by independent uh, advisory board members to the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, th- these are public uh, persons, you know, private individuals, I should say, who work in academic institutions and hospitals, and they're, they're not beholden to any government agency. And they seem to be quite satisfied with all of the information that they're getting as well. So I think insofar as this process being as transparent as any process can be, uh, I think it is. Uh, The other reason I have a good firm belief in the data that we're seeing is that, Michelle, it's so constant and consistent from country to country and product to product uh, and research plan to research plan that you just don't get that kind of consistency unless it's real, real numbers. Now, That's there good are a lot hear. of things we don't know. Yep, there are a lot of things that we don't know yet. Uh, we can talk about that, and that maybe is, you know, a little bit more uh, for for us to think about. Okay, what are some things then that we still don't know? And boy, are we in an era where we have been faced in 2020 with so many unknowns. What don't we know about uh, the vax, the vaccine? What we don't know yet is how long the immunity will last. What we don't know yet is what the reaction will be for individuals who have had a severe case of COVID when they get vaccinated, if they get vaccinated, and hopefully they will be vaccinated. We don't know if there are any long-term side effects to the vaccines, not that any are expected, or that there are any signals in the studies that we've had that would suggest that. And don't forget these vaccines are at maximum two doses. Most medicines are taken every day for years and years and years. So we're looking at something very different here, a very short course. What we also don't know is the difficulty that uh, seems to understand if the vaccine uh, will stop the spread of virus. And what we don't, and the reason we don't know that is we don't know how many people are going to actually uh, acquiesce and get the virus, uh, the vaccine, I should say. Uh, if enough people get it and we develop population immunity, it will stop the spread of the, the virus cold. Um, but we don't know if that's for a year, two years, five years. We also don't know where the vectors are coming from. There's some pretty uh, uh, interesting information that wild animals, now mink in particular in, in Scandinavian countries, and we've found some mink in the United States now and other uh, wild animals that have found to have COVID. So that's the other thing that we don't know. How long will COVID be, uh, be quiet once we are 
vaccinated and get population immunity. Okay. Uh, Do we know also about the efficacy if COVID mutates? And we have seen some instances Mm -hmm. of mutation, have we not? Oh, yes. It already mutated uh, once already from one form to the current G form. And folks think that that's one of the virologists uh, think that's one of the reasons that we saw a surge sometime around the late spring, early summer uh, because of that mutation. Uh, We don't know that. That's an exceptionally good point, Michelle. And we won't know that until it happens. Now, the the morphology, the study of these viruses uh, and what we have seen, what the virologists have seen over the decades since they've been tracking COVID type viruses, SARS viruses, which they've been looking at since 2002, show that it's not one of the viruses that forms rapid mutations. Uh, And the mutation that we did see so far uh, is uh, actually a a fairly benign uh, mutation, and that is that it spreads more easily, but it is not more virile. It doesn't cause more illness or more severe illness. And that's what you want to see, no more severe illness. Right. So what is the concern about having everyone take a vaccine, because we're talking a bit about making it mandatory versus healthy people being exposed to it and building uh, immunity naturally and thus maybe strengthening their immune system. Because some of my concern is that we have, uh, as we're masking up for, for seemingly good reasons, as we are dousing ourselves with antibacterial uh, fighting gels. And as we are sanitizing everything, we're not exposing our immune system to things naturally and boosting our immune system. And can we just talk about what the other things we do, the standard American diet, we're all home, not exercising. So are there some concerns there? Oh, yeah, not so much. I think about allowing our immune systems to go uh, lax or giving them a, a vacation that they'll not come back from. Uh, I don't think that that's anything that we have too much concern about. Uh, really? This is only a year, well, year, year and a half time period. Plus, when you're in your home, uh, presumably you're not wearing masks. And that if you open the windows or if you go outside to get the mail or uh, if you eat food from the grocery store, you know, if you touch bags and things of that nature, you're you're still getting your uh uh, immunologic system challenge. So let's make sure uh, you know, we're doing that and not sanitizing absolutely everything, right? Yes, and I, and I do think that you, one point I will say you can you can overdo it with these uh, uh, gels, the uh, alcohol-based gels that are form the majority of the safe to use uh, antibacterials, and soap and water, which we do all the time for decades, for years, for lifetimes. Uh, is the best way to clean your hands. So, yeah, when you can't get to a sink and use soap and water, uh, you know, these gels are great. But my preferred way of doing it is just washing your hands, just the way you would always do for uh, a lifetime. And that's one thing that you don't have to be concerned about. The viruses are very different than bacteria, by the way, that they're much more susceptible to being uh, destroyed by simple soap and alcohol than some bacteria. So, you know, it it is a, it isn't, I don't think you have to worry about that. The other things that we're not doing, exercising, getting out in the fresh air, getting enough sunshine that we need for vitamin D, which is low levels of vitamin D are associated uh, with as a 
possible cause for more severe illness with COVID, uh, the lack of medical visits to follow up on care for chronic conditions uh, such as diabetes and heart conditions mm. and cancers, uh, dental care is being uh, put off. Research on other medicines is also being put off. You know, we, yeah. we uh, uh, rely on research, as we now all are very, very aware of, for new and novel medicines to help treat increasingly difficult and potentially dangerous conditions. That's all uh, had to be pulled back. Uh, so there are a lot of things that uh, elected medical procedures, and by elective, we mean possibly uh, removal of cancer tumors that are slow growing or elective. It's not just, you know, cosmetic surgery, but what the medical con community considers elective are things that are not going to kill you within a few hours or a few days. So, you know, there are a lot of things that we've had to put off that I think are going to come to roost later on. The other is just depression, anxiety, yes. um, COVID, the whole scenario with COVID is very depressing for folks and particularly for those uh, poor souls who have had their economic situations devastated. Oh, right. Business owners, right. workers, you know, that, that mm. leads to a, a, an awful lot of other issues. And uh, that, that I think, too, we and Men's Health Network, which is the group I work with, is looking at the effect that that's all having on boys and men now and, and in the future. Yeah, this is a this is the world that we live in, and one of the reasons why uh, we are looking for a vaccine to expose ourselves, and and <clears throat> really that's what a vaccine is there for. It's to expose yeah. you to low levels of the virus so that you can create an immuno response, which is great. Some of the concerns people have had with viruses is the adjuvants that are in vi uh, vaccines, rather that mm -hmm. um, that help to make the vaccine even more effective. Some of those may have long-term effects. Some of those may, as we have seen, have uh, horrific uh, side effects for those who may have allergies. Uh, so, you know, there, there are some things to take into consideration. Uh, so finding that balance in our society, I mean, how, uh, even uh, ignoring some of the, um, natural things that you had mentioned, getting out, uh, vitamin D, and many other things that are uh, proven to be effective against the coronavirus, we're, we're not really talking about. And I think we need to include that in the conversation, don't you, doctor? Absolutely. Uh, the, the normal everyday things that are so meaningful to us uh, that we've had to do away with so long, I think we have to... Uh, we have to take perspective on that. You know, I, I know folks are uh, trying to have a good holiday uh, season, whichever holidays you may be uh, celebrating in the next couple of months. And I think that's so important. We, I am not one of these folks who believes that you should cancel Christmas. You just have to do it a little bit differently. Uh, same with New Year's, same with Hanukkah, same with Kwanzaa, same with whatever you celebrate this time of year. You have to celebrate it differently than you would not, uh, in other years. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like there's a lot of bad news here. Uh, the uh, advent of the vaccines, the amount of information we've learned about how to treat COVID, the awareness of the fact that there are these uh, uh, me mental wellness issues that are surfacing. Uh, we're very aware of it. 
And I think people are trying to overcome them as diligently as they can based on their responsibilities. But it's up to every individual, really, to t- start taking responsibility, continue taking responsibility to work through all of the this issue. People have to make good, conscious, educated decisions about getting vaccinated or not getting vaccinated, if that's if that's what your final decision is, what that means to you, your families and your loved ones, your ability to work and, and things. Uh, you have to take care of yourself once we are able to come out of uh, this social distancing world that we're living in. You have to get back on track with all of your medical conditions. You have to be even more diligent with some of the chronic conditions that you normally have because you won't be getting the physical checkups and the in the doctor's, uh, you know, review of your symptoms and uh, progress, you have to take more personal responsibility. So a lot of this is, I think, a good lesson in how important personal responsibility is as opposed to being overly dependent on someone else jogging you along to do the things that are important to do. Thank you so much for saying that. Thank you for getting our minds thinking in that direction. Because, Dr., we, um, on one hand, if you're not going to take the vaccine, that's not just, oh, I'm just not going to take it, then you have uh, express responsibility to think about what it means to really strengthen your immune system. You don't just say no to the vaccine and then continue with your standard American diet sitting in front of the television all day <laughs> uh, drinking Coca-Colas. But on the other hand, if you do get the vaccine, this is not just a wee cure-all. We still have to think about, right. look where our, our world has has devolved into and take personal responsibility as well, right? Absolutely. And when I speak about men's health, you know, men, unfortunately, have been acculturated here to think that health is someone else's responsibility and they just go along with what they're told to do. Uh, that's not, not the case at all. Uh, men need to take a page out of the women's health playbook, if you will, mm. take responsibility for their own health, do the things that they need to do. They can't rely on their spouses or girlfriends or daughters or, or lady friends to make appointments for them to the doctor or the dentist or enforce them. You have to, Oh, I'm just fine. Thank you very much. Cause that's a issue for men. It has been traditionally. It still is today. Men just, well, we'll just suck it up buttercup. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's, we guys are acculturated to that. Uh, I speak a lot about that. If you look at advertising, uh, we're just now starting to see it. And I mean, now in the past couple uh-huh. of years, Michelle, uh, men being portrayed as folks caring for their families. We just now yes. start seeing commercials where guys are doing laundry and taking care of their families. Men's Health Network has complained to advertisers uh, and marketers for many, many, many decades, oh, yes. two and a half decades, oh. almost three that they need to show men as responsible for good home lives and good nutrition and good health. Uh, When you look at the advertising that's there, I did a study once uh, where about 75% 75 of the print ads in magazines uh, were for health and health products were geared towards women and girls. About 15% were neutral and the remaining few percent, 10 percent, were directed at guys. I didn't do the follow-up study, which was how many ads that talk about Big Macs or uh, other kinds of uh, not necessarily (laughs) healthy 
uh, things uh, were directed at the guys. But I, I do think guys should be upset that they're viewed this way. Yes. Uh, and it's the responsibility of parents and others to help young men understand that they are as responsible for their health as they are for their good looks. Well, there you go. I think that one theme that we're taking on this week about the coronavirus is how it's changed our world. And we've talked in our time mm -hmm. together as we wind down uh, with our guest, Dr. Salvatore Giorgiani. Uh, we have absolutely seen the world change in some pretty dramatic and un unhappy mm -hmm. ways. But we've also seen some good changes as well, where when we're maybe working from home, not face to face, we have a chance to let the real us kind of shine through in our work, in our connections. Uh, it's not just about uh, that pretty face, or it's not just about uh, what you look like, or what your uh, religious affiliation is, and what you're, you know, we're, we're able through uh, working at home to see people through a different lens. And I think it's starting to change us a little bit. Now we're still divided. We still have a lot of ugliness and we can see it on social media, but in some ways, even in our mm. advertising, which has really changed, I think we're starting to see the difference. What say you? I agree. I uh, think that we are going to see a lot of changes in how healthcare is delivered using telehealth, making it much more accessible for people who have mm. trouble getting to the doctors or trouble making appointments or live in so-called uh, transportation deserts uh, or who right. want a little bit level of anonymity to their health care discussions. I, I don't know about others, but I find it fascinating and even bringing me closer to the people that I deal with when you're doing a Zoom conference and someone's sitting in their dining room or their kitchen or their den. I've seen some outside. It almost humanizes these people and makes them even more like real people than sitting mm. in a conference room all dressed up in, in, <laughs> in business attire. So I, I think that, that I look at as a positive. Uh, I also think that we are going to be more efficient uh, in uh, how we conduct business and how we do education. Some students are doing extremely well in electronic education. Some students are not. And I think we'll learn a lot about learning styles and we'll make our classrooms and the way we deliver education more efficient as we learn more about that. Uh, I also think that we are learning what we prize and hold dearest to us the most. We're, it's wow. often said that you don't know what you have till you lose it, but I think we have gotten a taste of what we have had, even the things that uh, uh, used to annoy me uh, a little bit, I kind of miss, you know? Uh, so I think that that is a good, healthy restart to our approach to everything in our lives. The other is we are much, much more conscious now as a, as a society, uh, a global society, about the importance of sanitization, importance of maintaining healthy environments around us. We're seeing these huge surges of installation of good quality air filters, for example, on cruise ships. My wife and I love to go on cruise ships and i've got to tell you they are upgrading all of their ventilation systems to be just wonderful units i've seen some of this going into apartment buildings where you know the air isn't necessarily the best you have uh, right. a 40-story apartment building with 
thousands of people living in it uh, and recirculated air. Uh, they're upgrading those kinds of things to put in better filtration. So I think we're also learning a little bit how to be a, a generally more sanitary society. So there are some good things coming of it. The other good thing I'll mention is we saw this remarkable prog process uh, because the red tape was cut uh, that the private sector and the public sector worked so diligently together because the world was at stake in getting these vaccines ready, getting these therapeutics ready, in sharing information about the condition, the disease, how to manage it, what works, what doesn't work. Uh, we saw this huge, huge progress, which really has, uh, hopefully it'll continue, and therefore we'll be able to see therapeutic advances uh, from the industry coming out much more rapidly than they did before. Uh, we always quip, you know, we say that it usually takes five years to get a vaccine approved. And I ask, well, where is it written down in, in a stone tablet that it must take five years? That's just something that's evolved over time. So now we know that these things can be done. And hopefully the American public will demand more accountability by the pharmaceutical industry, as well as the government regulators, that they look to trim some of the uh, unnecessary steps or unnecessary cautious workings that for important therapeutics and management of cancers and mental illness. Let me ask you one, one final question about yes. the mandatory nature of where we're going with the vaccine. I, I think there is a segment of society that says, okay, yeah, I'm not necessarily opposed to the vaccine. I'm just not comfortable with the you must, you must. Uh, we've seen mm. uh, some of the news stories about uh, technological developments of having information implanted in vaccines so that you can, uh, your medical history could be tracked. And all of these things come with a very good beginning for a good reason. But there could be nefarious things. There could be some serious side effects. There could be, uh, even with this vaccine, There, as we talked about, there are so many unknowns. you got to wonder, well, are, are, are we ready for this? So when we're looking at uh, mandatory anything, that does raise some red flags. I'd like your thoughts on that. Yeah, as Americans, we don't like naturally we don't like we don't like people like, telling us what to, do. <laughs> what to do right because we are the land of the free you know and and we but we've got to be brave too we've got to be brave enough to understand that not everything is understandable right away and we have to be brave enough to trust those who have spent lifetimes doing it now you know the scientists uh at all of these companies uh and at the fda and cdc and the government labs uh the economic they have families and they are going to be getting these vaccines too. You know, I, I'm sure that none of these folks, uh, it's one thing to develop a medication for diabetes or, or uh, fallen arches if you don't have diabetes or fallen arches. It's another thing to develop a vaccine that you and your wife, your family, your loved ones, your children, your mom and dad are going to need to get. So that, I think, puts a lot more uh, onus on folks to do the right thing. Because it's not just someone else. It's me and my family are going to get it. Uh, I do think that there are uh, times when you really should agree that what you're going to do is for the common good. It's kind of the old adage, you can yell fire in the movie theater, but the consequences of doing so when there's no fire are dramatic. 
Uh, and yes, you can make a decision uh, based on good knowledge. Where did you get that good information? Uh, CDC, uh, Cleveland Clinic websites, WebMD, uh, place, places of that nature where you can get from your local doctor, your local pharmacist. They know, they keep up with this stuff because they have to get this vaccine. And they are going to be amongst the first to get it. So you can bet your socks they're going to be digging in with those good scientific uh, brains of theirs to make sure that it's okay for them and their loved ones to get. Well, hopefully. But my concern is is that we can we, we almost get into a place of technocracy that, well, these people are ascended and they know they don't always know. We we don't always know. You know, we we can say the ends justifies the means and that, uh, you know, it's for the greater good, but we're not really God. And in some instances, we're just doing, I mean, okay, not in all instances, we're just kind of doing the best we can. And I think yeah. it's it's fair true. to say we don't really know how uh, th- what long term effects there may be, or and maybe as you mentioned, okay, there's uh, they're really trying to make this something that's safe for the vast majority. I think down the road, though, I wonder, and maybe I'm being conspiratorial, or maybe I'm putting on my reporter hat of trying to look at both sides. That's what they used to do anyway. But um, <laughs> wondering when it comes to a point where, well, we want to, we, we think it's for the greater good for everyone to have this information under their skin so that we can scan you and you won't be able to buy seller trade without it, you know, and, and people saying, well, wait a minute, that seems like people control. Yes, but it's for the greater good. Where does the greater good become something that's a little bit uh, too sci-fi nefarious? <laughs> when did we get there? Well, I, you know, Michelle, I wish I could give you a straight and good answer. Right. Because many, many times I wonder as well, and I'm in my 70s, so I've seen lots of things for the greater good come and go that were great for good then and not great or good now. Um, you know, I remember when we all changed from paper bags to plastic bags because for the greater good to save the planet, now we have to move from <laughs> plastic bags to reusable bags, you know, because it's not good. So I, We're I back. Can I just say we're in Seattle? We were on the forefront of that. Now we're back to plastic bags because it's healthier. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, exactly. There we are. <laughs> but, you know, that's why I did caveat it, that we are the home of the free and the home of the brave. So sometimes you, you, we almost always go with imperfect knowledge because there's only one who has perfect knowledge. So we almost always go with imperfect knowledge and knowledge is always evolving. So I think you have to at some point say, well, I'm not sure that injecting individuals with nanoparticles to track them wherever they go, <laughs> if that ever happens, is a, is a good idea. But perhaps it might be a good idea at some future in 100 or 200 years. Uh, I also don't I'm not smart enough to really be able to tell people that uh, these or I'm smart enough to tell people that these vaccines are not completely foolproof because we just don't know. We will have data. There's 3 million doses being used in the United States in the next week or so. There'll be another 8 million doses by the end of the year. Um, and these are individuals uh, getting a full course. So two, uh, one and a half and then four, uh, and a, 4 million people. There are millions and millions of exposures in the United Kingdom. In the next couple of months, there will be millions and millions of exposures 
in Australia, Canada, uh, uh, in other places by the middle of, uh, let's say, January uh, or early February. There'll be tens of millions of exposures. If we don't see even the most reluctant individual should have confidence after several tens of millions of people have taken the dose that this is about as safe as using artificial sweetener or drinking a no-calorie no, uh, soft drink uh, or even eating my wife's meatloaf. You know, you just, <laughs> you've got to have some faith in the fact that all of that leads you to a good conclusion that this is probably okay. Probably okay, although I'm, I'm a big advocate of getting away from those artificial sweeteners. I think I would come over to, to have meatloaf uh, with, with your family, though. I've had that much fun <laughs> talking with you today. Thank you very much for uh, giving us your thoughts and uh, for what you do at the Men's Health Network, uh, a very important organization that reaches Thank men you. and boys and families uh, with prevention and, and good messages because... Uh, it's a segment of our of our world that is often men overlooked in the health world. Menshealthnetwork.org, menshealthnetwork.org. Of course, a link will be at mymichellelive.com. We have been talking with Dr. Salvatore Giorgiani. He has been our guest, and it has been a delight. Thanks so much. I'm very happy to be on anytime you'd like me back. And in the meantime, have a wonderful holiday. We all need a wonderful holiday. Oh, do we? Do we ever? My Michelle Live, Health Watch. She's writing a prescription for hope. Hey, thank you for making this show part of your life and I'm hoping that I can make your life a little bit better because of what we're talking about today. Welcome to cold and flu season but this cold and flu season it is like nothing we've ever really experienced before let's face it. We're also trying to avoid the coronavirus. Some ways we may be putting ourselves in additional danger because of the ways that we are protecting ourselves from the coronavirus. So there are some things that we can do and we're even going to help you put together a cold and flu survival kit. We're going to give you some help and some insight, answer some questions, and we will be taking it on in this part of the program today with Don Paul from Lono Life. Don, thanks for hanging out with us today. Well, thanks for having me. You're exactly right. With everything going on, you still have to be concerned about the common cold, don't you? You know, and, and we kind of, but maybe there's a way that we can kind of build our immune system a little bit. And if we happen to get uh, that cold or, or the flu, that we can be prepared so it's much easier to get over um, this little nasty little cold. <laughs> yes. Well, that's, and that's kind of part of the problem that we really are trying to protect ourselves. We're all taking those pr protective measures. Some of those measures, though, to be honest, um, is can cause harm where the cold and flu are concerned. And what I mean is that it may be, uh, in some regards, life-saving to wear your mask, uh, social distance. Um, to, there's hand sanitizers absolutely everywhere, <laughs> every, every store that you go. But what we're doing in that attempt is not 
giving our immune system anything. We are just segmenting ourselves from anything that we could be exposed to. Our immune system, isn't it kind of like a muscle? If we don't work it out, it's not going to work effectively. So when we're exposed then to colds and flu, we have more of a likelihood to get it. You're exactly you're exactly right, and it, it is. I mean, if just a few years ago, it was don't use the hand sanitizer so much because you have to have um, you still have to have the good yeah. quote uh, germs and things on your hands, and it does kind of shift away, and and even with all the precautions are uh, everything out there, you're still have a potential, you know, and it's it's interesting that and and everything we do, and um, I just had. Uh, uh, someone I work with just a week ago and had the common cold, you know, and they were sniffling and all that. And of course, they were worried about everything else, but it was just a cold. And, and they, they scratch their head and they wonder, how, how, you know? <laughs> so it, it, nature will make a way, I think, and, and give you that, uh, that sniffles, even if you protect yourself as much as you can. Yes. So here we are in these in these crazy times. And uh, while we might be wearing masks, our body gave us a natural mask that we have to take care of as well. And that's called our immune system. And so one thing that we can do is look at some of the things that we can put together to protect us during cold and flu season. Now, I know you uh, are working with Lono Life which provides some really unique products for health. Uh, bone broth, for example, can have extraordinary levels of collagen. And I am a big believer in collagen. Collagen is one of those substances, the second most uh, substantive substance in our bodies next to water. And it gradually and dramatically leaves our bodies as we get older. And some of the things that collagen does is help us to sleep, uh, helps us to have that healthy metabolism. It, it can, helps us with weight concerns. It can help with our immune system, hair, skin, nails, all of those things. It's why we start looking older. We have less collagen. Uh, but it also also helps with our immune system, does it not? Oh yeah, you know, um, Lona Life Bone Broth is a high protein ingredient that fuels your busy lives, whether we're looking about building our immune system or not. Um, it's one of nature's best superfoods, you know. And what we say about that is, it's like this uh, uh, nutrient, uh, nutritionally dense way to get all everything you want you know and exactly what you were saying you know uh, lonely one one um uh, just one uh, bone broth uh will give you 10 grams of protein and protein is good for replenishing if you work out and muscles and stuff but also you're right a diet you know we talk about protein filling up a little bit so you don't overeat but why is it uh, so good for you well because there's calcium in bone broth uh, magnesium, which is great for your muscle and nerve function. Potassium regulates fluid balance. So if you are getting sick, you need that. And it also has been known to reduce blood pressure. Vitamin A, vitamin K2, uh, which supports an immune system. So there's so that's So when we talk about um, a lot of nutri um, nutrients in the bone broth, that's what we're talking about, really dense and heavy duty. So that's why it's a nice um, product to have on hand 
and you can just go to it uh, every day or if you're working out or if you're not feeling very well and you're preparing to maybe, hopefully, fight off getting sick. All right. As you're listening today, I, I'm always completely honest. I have never tried Lono Life, but I wanted to have you on the program uh, as I it, I really like to go out and explore and find things that can help us as we talk about this in this segment, Health Watch, things that can help us that aren't invasive, aren't scary, aren't going to have ridiculous side effects, uh, things that can turn back the damage we've done from our standard American diet, from the things that we poison ourselves with. And so as I came across Lono Life, I am really interested. I have not tried the product, but I do know that bone broth, uh, collagen, I love um, collagen. I just think it's one of the most wonderful things that we can we can replenish ourselves with. I was impressed because of the uh, very healthy and natural way that you present your your products that you have unflavored. So you know if you're going to use it in your coffee, you don't really want it to to taste like bone broth. Uh, you have vanilla flavor. So that's and you have a, a host of recipes too as we go into the holiday season. So oh, I, yeah. I just wanted to give you a little praise there. there those, these are the things that you find in our regular stores at Fred Meyers, at Costco. So uh, we might be familiar with it, but um, we're looking at a time where we're dealing with some serious concerns about cold flus and even viruses. We need a little help. So along with some of the things that you recommend from Lono Life, help us to put together a little cold and flu survival kit. Sure. Um, you know, I always uh, tell everybody, just get it. Maybe it's a, a, a large uh, carry-on bag or something, or something like this, where you could put these items in, store it in the back of your closet so you're ready to go. And the big thing is you start feeling sick or you get sick that you don't want to scramble around the house to find different <laughs> things. Um, you know, bath salts, aromatherapy, as we talk about good things, mm-hmm. it's going to be relaxing and healing. And so you want to have some of that so you can get in that bath and, and relax. As crazy as it may sound, extra blankets. You know, we have blankets on our bed. We have our different places or stored away, but you're going to want that soft blanket. And I, and I always say it's like a like your mom when you were sick and gave you a nice hug. So a nice, cozy <laughs> blanket. Um, and, of course, alone alive because... Yes, we talked about it's 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 easy and convenient and shelf stable. So you're going to want um, a packet of Lona Life there because as you were feeling a little run down, this is going to give you the nutrients. It's nutrient packed uh, bone broth that will, you know, just help you get through your sickness. Another thing is is I like putting in honey, honey because it'll be stable yes. and everything. But health experts agree honey can soothe a sore throat. Oh, not just that, Don. Let's just linger on honey for a moment. Antimicrobial, antibiotic. That it is an extraordinary, not just superfood, but uh, honey is. Uh, having been a beekeeper, man, you have honey with a little bit of tea. I And can I recommend if you can get a hold of elderberries? I've made just yeah. this year yeah. elderberry uh, tea, elderberry cough syrup, uh, elderberry uh, cough drops. Elderberry is wonderful. And if I have a little bit of that uh, elderberry syrup, which I make with raw honey, uh, so I don't kill off any of those bacteria, 
yeah. and I I stick that in in my tea. It is so so soothing. It's so healthy. But I wanted to get back to uh, the one thing that we all think about when we're sick is mom's chicken soup. But if we can do that chicken soup a little bit on steroids, that's one of the way. And I don't mean yeah. literally, I mean nat- something natural that you can natural, do. Yeah. yeah. Don, uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you specifically, because chicken soup is very good and it really does work but when we can do it with uh, the bone broth it it kicks it up to a completely higher level so i wanted to share uh, your your special secret uh, mom mom and don recipe for uh, chicken soup well you know and a lot of these things you're going to have um, in your household, so it's easy to grab. Um, a couple of you might have to, because they're uh, one of the ingredients is kale. But to begin with, it's a it's a yellow onion. You're going to dice it just one. You're going to use garlic, and you're going to use four cups of Lona Life. Um, you can be either chicken or beef broth. It, obviously, it doesn't matter. There, uh, it's the taste that you're going to look at. But celery, just to give it a little body, um, a radish. Rashes are good for a lot of different things. People don't think about them. Kale and spinach, again, these are great things for the, supporting the immune system. And it's just a quarter cup. So it's not heavy duty because you still want to be able to digest things. And it's salt and pepper to taste. And you just put everything together and you cook it in a big pot. Oh, simmer for maybe 30 minutes. But everything gets nice and blended and great flavor. And you have the loan of life. That gives you all those nutrients, but you also are backing up with the radish, with the kale and the spinach, and even garlic. And I like mixing that up, and it's very simple. But the big thing is to be able to grab it and go, you know. (laughs) And I've done this recipe, and I've put it in a, you know, at least about four cups and all that in a container, and I freeze it. Ah, good idea. Oh, we just go back, and it's it's like the survival. You grab that bag. Well, you want to grab this and, and put it in a pot and let it warm up throughout. But as we go look through different things like this, really, maybe even before we get, we always talk about, well, we don't want to get sick. We want to build immune system. Fantastic. But we should always look at some basic things that, you know, sometimes it gets hard to do. And I always tell everybody, exercise. Try to get out regular. And sometimes people are like, I don't, I don't have the time to exercise. I don't, I don't want to, I'm not the, uh, the stair stepper or I'm not the, you know, treadmill. No, you just have to go out for 15, 20 minutes a day and walk or every other day. Jen. Oh, we were just talking just last week, Don, that uh, new studies are showing just 10 minutes a day yeah. where you get to the point where your uh, heart's racing just a bit and you you realize that, okay, I'm breathing harder. Ten, Just 10 minutes, get to that point a day. It doesn't take much. I brag about my exercise bike underneath my desk that I have right now that yeah. I can just pedal yeah. and it doesn't have to be hard and labored i'm just moving so there these are just easy inexpensive things that we can do oh easy easy and the thing about um one of the things we want to do too is lower our stress well exercise or walking will lower that stress and i always joke kissing does too a nice dog you know you got a dog (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's another topic but now here's the killer, though, to lower your stress, um, because I'm a big coffee drinker, but reduce your caffeine intake. And that's one of the things that's like, oh, boy, that's a tough one. But 
learn, you know, spending time with family as we have collapsed a little bit, but even simple breathing techniques for stress, reducing stress, sometimes it's just a matter of a minute of just relaxing, breathing in and out. You don't have to do a lot of meditation. Some people just breathe a little bit, and it's just something they have to get habit. Um, and eat a balanced diet, you know, and we all, sometimes we're go, go, go. You know, kids are coming in, and maybe they're doing certain things, and you want to throw a meal down real quick. But a balanced diet will kind of support that immune system and kind of keep everything, you know, connected. And I know it's hard, you know, families and things like that, but think ahead, keep everything balanced. And I also say sleep. It doesn't matter yes. how much sleep. The experts say it's not so much the sleep, how long, but be consistent. Go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time as much as you can, and that will be that you regulate your sleep patterns, and that will, you know, that will help you, again, build that immune system. Okay, so some things that help with that sleep as well. I go back to collagen, love collagen, Mm -hmm. and you can find that in bone broth. And that's why I wanted to take this on today because there are some things that we kind of know we need to be reminded of. But if we haven't introduced something that's really easy, like a bone broth into our diets and into our cold and flu survival kit, this is the time to think about it. You mentioned some powerhouse things, honey, as we talked about powerhouse. You mentioned garlic in that uh, soup recipe, uh, which we'll include on our website, by the way, with a link to Lono Life if you want more information. But garlic in that soup recipe, garlic is so powerful for viruses, for for flus, for colds. It's a it's another powerhouse ingredient. So uh, getting back to uh, bone broth garlic. That's great in the chicken soup. We talked about tea, um, having that honey in the tea, but you have, um, and recommend kind of a non-flavored bone broth that you can stick in your tea when you're not feeling so hot or, uh, maybe in your smoothies or whatever. So there's, there's really some things that we can take into consideration. Um, and you're, you're a big believer in, in what bone broth can do for us in helping us to maintain health, weight, and wellness. I'll give you the final yeah. word. Yeah, uh, bone broth is it just you had mentioned earlier slows the signs of aging, improves skin health, and you know as as I'll blame it on me as I get older. Hey, I'm I'm looking at the skin health, and even enhances your gut health. And so, bone broth is. It is that superfood, as I mentioned earlier. It's nature's superfood, and it's something to incorporate very easily. And even as we, uh, for lunches and stuff, uh, that in the office or at home. And well, I am absolutely delighted to introduce anything that I can that can help us to stay healthy without drugs and without discomfort. And I've been thankful to have you with us today. Hey, uh, if you want more information on health and such, go to mymichellelive.com, wherever you're listening. Will you like and will you share it? Help build what we're doing here and spread the word because not only are we trying to find good information, but get to the God story. And the God story to me today is that, yeah, God's given us great wisdom to try to combat some of the problems that we have, but we don't have all wisdom. So the best place to start is with what God has provided you. An immune system, things in nature, wisdom, 
take care of yourself. And that way, we can mitigate the problems to our bodies, which have a tremendous ability, miraculous, if you will, ability to heal themselves. God's put some great things in place, and I'm grateful. And I'm grateful for you, too. Thanks for listening. More Health Watch at MyMichelleLive.com.